Welcome into another edition of the Hops and Spirits podcast. I cannot believe that we are through April. We're basically a third of the way done uh, for the year. That's crazy to think. Uh, it's gone by so fast. I also can't believe that we're talking Kentucky Derby and now Cinco de Mayo. That's right. We're going to have an amazing episode for you uh, here in just a little bit. You'll see uh, our flight night crew, and then we finish off the episode with uh, tequila and some Mexican spirits with Izo spirits. Uh, but first, we hit Chicken Cock Greg Snyder, a legend in the game, talks to the flight crew. It's a, it's an amazing episode. I also want to thank everyone who participated in our April giveaway. Uh, congratulations, I believe, goes out to none other than R.D. Flesher. Uh, for, for winning the giveaway. Uh, that prize pack will be in the mail soon. And if you didn't win, don't worry. We've got another one coming in May, and I'm hoping to make it even more spectacular. Basically, one one a month is our goal. So uh, stay tuned to our social media pages, at Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. And also don't forget to check out our 60-second highlights every Monday morning, dropping on our YouTube page, Facebook page, Instagram, and TikToks. Uh, where we highlight all sorts of products. We just did Ballast Point, the Big Gus. Before that, we were bourbon, cocktails, uh, you name it, we've done it. So don't forget to check that out. Now, let's get to the show. All right, we're here for another flight night. It is flight night four as I'm knocking things over. See, Ariella, I told you I was going to screw something up today. <laughs> <laughs> it's flight night four. This is our second bourbon flight night. The first one was back in January with the crew and Barrel Bourbon, Barrel Craft Spirits. Uh, but this week, we are with Chicken Cock, a whiskey company. Uh, they do bourbon, rye, and a couple special releases as well. The crew with us, we have D, better known as the VA Bourbon Hunter. Ariella, also, or A, also known as Influenski on Instagram. And Chris, who confuses everyone on Instagram as Jeff the Rabbit. <laughs> uh, guys, welcome back. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. Yep. And then our guest this week is Greg Snyder, Chicken Cock Master Distiller. Greg, thank you for taking some time to, to talk the brand and also uh, let us sample a few things. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. It's a privilege to be able to join you all this evening. Well, I always like to start things off with one tough question. It's a nice little icebreaker. And uh, for this one, as the weather's getting a little nicer, hopefully everywhere. Um, yeah, it was, we did have snow here in Kentucky last week, but you know, it melted by, uh, by, by midday. The one <laughs> tough question is, would you rather enjoy a drink on the porch deck or your back in your backyard or at the bar? Who would like to go first? I'll go. I would say uh, back deck, man, you know, it's, you know, I, for, especially during this quarantine, you know, I don't need to go to the bar. You know, I, I don't, I, I can stay home. I can save money and I can have a drink <laughs> deck with some friends and it'd be a beautiful day. The bar, especially I'm, I'm going to spend about a hundred dollars <laughs> and then I need to Uber home or something. I, I'm, I'm staying home. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, I'm definitely going to pick home nine times out of 10 just because um, I have what I like to drink at home. Most of the bars around here don't have what I really want to drink. So, yeah, and and same here. It's definitely the home, the the back patio. Um, if even if I go to bars, the pours are really expensive, especially the ones that I really want to try. Um, <laughs> it's more economical being at home with the whiskey collection that I have at home. 
And Greg? Well, get a wise group here. I, I have to concur. I've uh, been blessed. Uh, my wife and I have a pool in the back, and I have a little bar under a gazebo shelter house like that uh, doesn't matter if it's raining or, or uh, whatever the weather is. I can sit sit there at my bar and, and uh, as Chris said, enjoy what, what I have in my, my inventory at home. But uh, a yeah. few, few tunes uh, on Spotify, and uh, I'm set, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I- I'm, I'm going to go, you know, five for five. It's for me, it's the back, back, back deck. I also got a nice little fire pit out there and I don't know, there's just something with a drink and a, a nice fire going. Uh, you just can't beat that. Now I will say uh, for, for beer, cause you know, we, it is hops and spirits. It's nothing wrong with a nice beer garden uh, someplace, uh, you know, which is just like a patio. You're just paying a little extra for, <laughs> for, for every, everything. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely a backyard uh, back deck kind of guy myself too. Nice. Um, I, I think we have a very smart crew here uh, on this one. <laughs> now, now, Greg, for those that don't know, the Chicken Cock brand has been around for a long time, uh, but it might be new to a lot of folks because as we were talking about beforehand, it was only in 12 states up until pretty much recently when now it's in about 40 states. Uh, but what can you, can you give us a little history lesson here so we, we, we understand what we're about to drink? Well, I, I can indeed. You know, it's it's interesting. Usually, when I do conduct a tasting, uh, you know, what do you think the first question is I get? Hmm. Your name. Where did you get that name? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it's uh, some people have a lot of fun with the name, but I tell people, you know, I didn't create the name. Uh, the name actually originated with the brand in 1856 uh, when the distillery and the brand uh, began uh, in Paris, Kentucky gentleman by the name of James A. Miller actually uh, built the distillery and started the brand. And as the story goes, he, he was making a whiskey that he felt was worth crowing about. And so that's where uh, chicken cock uh, uh, whiskey got its name. And, and people need to remember back in 1856, you know, Americans were still using the old English language and the term for a male chicken or what we call nowadays a rooster, which rooster didn't term rooster didn't come about till the late 1800s, early 1900s. But uh, back in that day, a male chicken was called a cock. And so that's where the, the name originated. Uh, but the brand did well. Uh, several years into it, actually, Mr. Miller passed away. And he had a very loyal clerk by the name of George White that he left some, some money to. Uh, wasn't enough to acquire the distillery, but Mr. White picked up a couple of investors and they bought the distillery and kept the brand going. And uh, if you ever get down to Bardstown, Kentucky, there's there's a museum down there called the Oscar Getz Museum. Um, Jonathan, you're from Kentucky, you may be familiar with it, but they have the entire history of, of the whiskey industry in, in Kentucky. And there's some old pre-prohibition bottles uh, of a lot of different brands, but a lot of, there's some uh, old pre-prohibition bottles of chicken cock as well. And one of those bottles you'll see on the label, it says the famous old brand, James A. Miller's Chicken Cock Whiskey. And uh, so anyhow, they kept the brand going. Uh, the brand did well up until Prohibition. Like most companies, they had to shut the distillery down. And the brand was actually sold to a company up in Montreal, Canada. And that, can't, uh, that company actually ended up becoming Joseph E. Seigerman's Sons. Uh, but that distillery up in Montreal, they actually made a rye whiskey. And they would put a bottle of the rye whiskey under the chicken cock label. And they would take that bottle and they'd seal it in a, a tin can. That tin can actually protected the bottle when they would bootleg it back across the border into the United oh, States. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And, and so it showed up with a lot of speakeasies, but one of its, its uh, claims to fame, it was actually the house whiskey 
and probably the most famous speakeasy during that time era, the, the Cotton Club in, in Harlem, New York. And uh, there's a book about Duke wow. Ellington and, and Duke Ellington actually in his memoirs, he talks about chicken cock as a house whiskey um, at the Cotton Club. And so- Wow, that's neat. It's a lot of neat history. Uh, yeah. Post <laughs> the end of prohibition, National Distillers acquired the brand and brought it back to the U.S. because they had a medicinal alcohol permit. And so they could make medicinal alcohol. So they started the distillery back up and actually bottled uh, chicken cock whiskey with the medicinal alcohol label. Um, huh. Likewise, down at the Guest Museum, there's some of those on display as well. Uh, but um, so prohibition was repealed. Uh, the brand grew and did well up until about the 1950s. In the 1950s, uh, the distillery had a fire and it actually burned to the ground. And the company that owned it at that time decided not to rebuild. And the brand just sat idle uh, up until 2012. The founder of Drain and Barrel Spirits, a gentleman by the name of, of Mati Antela, uh, Mati actually was looking for a brand that he could uh, buy the rights to and, and bring it back. And so he you know, did a lot of research, uh, ran upon the history of this brand and thought it was a pretty cool story. And so he acquired the, the brand rights to Chicken Cock Whiskey in, in 2012. Um, you know, he had a vision, but like, like most business strategies, um, you know, companies need to generate a cash flow. And so to generate a cash flow, uh, he was acquiring some pretty young whiskey and they would put some flavoring in it and they'd actually put it in a metal bottle and started out selling it as a flavored whiskey. Uh, then he came along and, and decided to make a bourbon and, and a rye. And there again, he was—he uh, didn't have a distillery, uh, wasn't working with anybody at that time. And uh, he was buying some six-month-old whiskey and, and uh, they were trying to go through an accelerated maturation process. But he came out with chicken cock heritage, which was a bourbon and a chicken cock bootlegger, which was a, a bourbon and rye. Now, for me, it's, it's okay if you want to make a mixed drink, but as a sipping whiskey, nah, it just doesn't quite cut the mustard. So, um, and Monty realized that, uh, but it, it served its purpose. They generated cash flow, uh, but he had a vision to resurrect the brand back to Kentucky and bring it back to its high quality prominence that it once had many, many years ago. And so, um, this is where I kind of get, come into the picture. Now, I, I've been in the business. Uh, uh, a few years. years now. I actually started uh, with Joseph E. Seagram's son in Louisville right out of college in 1978. And so wow. I've been very blessed uh, to have a great career and very blessed to work with so many great knowledgeable pe people and, and, uh, and learn from them uh, everywhere I've worked. I mean, I worked at Seagram's, I uh, worked at Brown Foreman 12, for 12 years, nine of the 12 years I worked at Brown Foreman. I actually managed their cooperage operations. So I not only know how to make whiskey, how to age whiskey, how to bottle whiskey, but I also know the importance of the barrel, which quite honestly, most people don't realize 60 to 70% of the flavor in that bottle of whiskey actually comes from the white oak barrel. So um, from there, I went to Wild Turkey. I was actually the vice president of Austin Nichols and the managing director at the Wild Turkey Distillery for a little over 10 years. Uh, spent a few years uh, up in Maine with Right Rock Distilleries. Uh, I think their biggest brand at that time was a product called Pinnacle Vodka. Uh, we actually oh, created okay. the, the dessert category of, of vodkas. Um, oh, wow. And, um, but uh, Jim Beam acquired, in 2012, Jim Beam acquired Pinnacle and Plant Assets and asked me to move back to Kentucky area to head up the transition of the, the brands they acquired uh, into their Frankfurt plant. So I did that. 
Um, was there a little over a year, and then I got an opportunity with a company down in Bowling Green, Kentucky, called Western Spirits. You may be familiar with uh, Bird Dog Whiskeys, Calumet Farm Bourbon, mm -hmm. Sam Houston Bourbon. That's some of their products. But mm -hmm. um, Bowling Green is about a little over about two hours from where I live, and I uh, was uh, a little bit too far to commute day to day. So I was living and working down in Bowling Green during the week and driving home on weekends and. After about three and a half years of doing that, I said, you know, it's, it's time to ramp up my retirement plan. And that was not retired, but start a <laughs> consulting company and, and share some of my years of experience and knowledge with uh, people that are getting in the industry now that the, the bourbon industry is booming. So good opportunity for me. And, and that's when I hooked up in, in uh, July of 2017. I, I met Madi, the founder of Grain and Barrel, and, and he was sharing his vision with me. And then I've through my consulting services, I was helping them with their supply, some supply chain issues and some operational issues. Um, but then after Monty and I got to know each other a little bit better and he shared that vision, um, he asked if I'd be interested in serving in the role of master distiller. And so I, I said, I would do that on one condition. We stopped bottling the bootlegger and the heritage and any of this other stuff and truly focus on resurrecting the brand and bringing it back to Kentucky and bringing it back to its, its high prominence uh, quality reputation. So, so that's what I've been doing over the last few years. Um, the first step of that was I negotiated a, um, an agreement with Bardstown Bourbon Company. If you haven't been to Bardstown yet, or when you do get to Bardstown, you got to stop by Bardstown Bourbon Company. It is beautiful. They actually started producing whiskey in 2016, and um, they have put together one of the greatest teams in this industry. That's some fabulous people down there, and they're making some fantastic whiskey, and the place is absolutely beautiful. Um, it's, it's amazing how quickly they've grown and, and how successful they've been. But Steve Nally, who's their master distiller, is, is a good friend of mine. Steve is actually the former master distiller at, at Maker's Mark. Uh, Steve was the guy kind of behind the curtain, actually making the whiskey every day. And Bill Samuels and a few other folks were, were in the limelight, uh, you know, taking the glory. But, but Steve was the actual guy that uh, was a true master distiller. And so uh, Steve helped Barstown Bourbon Company get started. But Steve's one of the few guys that have been in this industry a little bit longer than I have. Quite <laughs> just a great guy. So hooked up with him and he introduced me to the management team at uh, Bardstown Bourbon Company. And they have what they call a collaborative distillation program. Now, there are distilleries that contract distill. You know, mm -hmm. They make whiskey with their mash bill and, and put it in a barrel and you can buy those barrels wow. through contract. Well, through a collaborative distillation program, uh, it's, it's a bit different. Uh, they make whiskey according to our specifications, and I have complete oversight of the entire process. So basically, I gave them our mash bill. Our bourbon mash bill is 70% corn, 21% rye, and 9% malted barley. Huh. Then I also gave them the work instructions, you know, as far as the time and temperature cooking, the enzymes we want to use, the yeast we want to use, uh, the specifications for fermentation and beer chemistry, the specifications for distillation, and then I also select the barrels. Now, uh, through my consulting services, uh, another one of my clients early on in, in that process was a bunch of guys out in, in West Virginia, in White Sulphur Springs, uh, West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And um, they were interested in starting a cooperage. And so I told them I could help. And I did. And so uh, uh, they have a company now called West Virginia Great Barrel Company. And of course, the first thing they needed was a stave mill. And so basically uh, they acquired the equipment 
and put together a stave mill. And I went out there and I trained their employees. Uh, I think it was the first week of February, 2019. And then I went back out the first week of March, 2019 and did some retraining with some, some additional new employees. But basically I taught them how to quarter saw white oak logs, you know, how to cut staves and heading, you know, what to look for as far as defects, how to edge them up, how to stack them properly so they can naturally air dry properly. Uh, and then when they got the cooperage equipment in place and got the cooperage built, I uh, spent some time out there as well, training employees how to, how to build a quality barrel, uh, how to toast it properly, how to, how to char it properly. And a lot of the equipment in the design of the cooperage, uh, I provided some assistance and giving them some direction on, on best things to, to do, the best practices, so that they have control over every process throughout the, the operation. So. Uh, so my connection with them, when I say select the barrels, I'm actually, since uh, 2019, May of 2019, I went out there and I actually hand-selected the logs. Huh. I'm looking oh, wow. for extremely <laughs> tight grain white oak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, part of the beauty in West Virginia, there's smack dab in, in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains right mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And some steep mountains, if you've ever been through that area, you know how rough and rugged and, and steep those mountains are. And so 50% of the trees are growing on a north facing slope. So they're not getting the sunlight that the other ones are. So just because of lack of sunlight, they're gonna grow slow. Likewise, even though the ones on the south facing slope are getting sun, that soil is not fertile. It's so rough and rocky uh, that it's not great for growing things, but trees grow in it, and, but they grow slow. And so they have an extremely high percentage of tight grain oak coming out of the Appalachian region there in West Virginia, Virginia area, that whole area right there. And so the reason I'm looking for tight grain now, by standard, tight grain is a minimum of 10 annual growth rings per inch. Those guys, they're averaging probably 12 to 15 annual growth rings per inch. And so what that does, it gives you a much higher density, a higher concentration of the hemicellulose and lignin that gets converted into, into the extractables, the caramel and vanilla flavors and the extractables. When you build that barrel, and one of our specifications is we're gonna toast it, give it a nice, deep, long, penetrating toast, uh, where we're gonna convert the hemicellulose into the caramel substance and the lignin into the vanilla substance. Basically, you got cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignin, white oak. And the cellulose is a, the primary cellular structure that makes the wood hard, holds it together. The hemicellulose is where the polysaccharides are, wood sugars. So just like holding sugar in a spoon and you hold it over a, a burner, what to do, it starts melting and caramelizing. Well, that's where that caramel flavor is. So by mm -hmm. toasting that barrel, you're converting that hemicellulose into caramel substance and giving those sweet flavors. Remember, 60 to 70% of the flavors coming mm -hmm. from that white oak mm -hmm. barrel. Same thing, when you toast that barrel and heat it up, the lignin converts into valin, and that's where your vanilla flavors are coming from. So... Again, the tighter the grain, we're going to get a much higher concentration of those desired uh, extractables. And we're actually taking full advantage of what that wood has to offer. If you just char a barrel and you don't toast it, you're going to create a thin layer of those, those flavors just on the inside of the oh. char, but not the full extent of what that wood actually has to offer. And so um, it's just, you know, some of the things that I've picked up in the 43 years that I've been in the business. And uh, so... Usually I go out there a week to 10 days before we're going to make our bourbon or our rye. And I actually oversee the, the process of the, the barrel construction. They, they take the, the staves and heading from the logs that I selected the previous year. And we make, build those barrels from those staves and heading. 
And then again, I'm there to ensure that everyone's toasted properly, that everyone's charred properly and constructed properly. And so once those are built, then I go to Bardstown and oversee the process of the making of our bourbon and, and our, or our rye, and it goes in those barrels. So um, it's, it's something unique. I don't know of any other distillery that's actually has control of it, from, as I say, from bark to barrel to bourbon to bottle. Um, I have complete oversight from, from the very beginning through. So something unique that uh, I'm proud of and, and able to take my 43 years and focus it on a brand uh, like chicken cock and, and uh, looking forward to something special. So the first bourbon we laid down was actually in 2018. And so it's going to be late next year, probably before that's at least four years old and, and able to bottle it. Uh, we'll see. It's, it's, I, I taste it every six months to see how it's progressing. And it's, it's coming along great. I, I couldn't be more pleased with the way it's progressing. But uh, we'll probably start bottling some of it, uh, like I said, late next year. Now, in the meantime, and what I've been doing for the last couple of years, uh, part of my responsibilities, I go out and I try to find good quality whiskey that we can acquire and actually put under the chicken cock label to bridge that gap until uh, our whiskey is of a proper age and proper maturity. And so that's kind of what I've been doing. And that's what we're going to be tasting tonight, actually. Uh, I was going to say, uh, we, we've got the first one is the bourbon. Uh, so you could tell a little bit about that as, as we kind of get to. Yeah, I don't know it. if they, what they sent you. Did, did you, you didn't get this bottle, did you, Jonathan? Just a sample? Just We got yeah. some nice sample sizes. Okay, so if, I don't know if you can see this bottle or not. This is actually a replica of the old chicken cock bottle, <laughs> pre-prohibition chicken cock bottle. It has a honeycomb embossing in the glass. And people like it. It's a pretty attractive package, but what that represents, it represents chicken wire, actually, mm -hmm. around the bottle. Gotcha. We actually have two style bottles. Our, our limited offerings are usually in a little different bottle, and there, but it's also a pre-prohibition. Uh, pre of course, back then, they were pint size. Now, these are 750. We just blew them up to a 750 size and, and made replicas of the original bottles. But uh, So, the first one we're tasting, uh, this is actually a, a blend of of some six-year-old and some 15-year-old. Hmm. So, now, usually when I do tastings, I don't like telling people what I smell, what I taste, because it kind of plants a seed and people say, oh yeah, I get that, I get that. No, I want you to smell it, you to taste it, and you tell me what you're getting. And then, you know, because everybody's different. You know, that's what mm -hmm. I tell people in tasting. Correct. It's not an exam. There is no right or wrong answers. What you smell or what you taste is going to be totally different from, from what others smell and taste. What are you picking up on the nose? Any, any suggestions? Um, honey, like honey, wafers, vanilla wafers. Yeah. Um, some green in there. It's like a the rack kind of profile is a little okay. bit. I'm thinking this is like at least like ten percent rye or even higher. I could definitely smell the rye. Twenty-one percent rye is what he said. I think. Well, no, no, that's our mash bill. Now this this oh, is a blend of six-year-old and fifteen-year-old that we acquired. Oh, so, uh, see the rye. One of the mash bills. It was. Um, let's see. It was seventy-eight and a half, thirteen percent rye, and eight and a half malted barley. And the other was um, seventy-four, eighteen percent rye, and eight percent. Ah. Okay. So. So yeah, you get a little rye notes here, Pop. I don't particularly, but. There's like a hint of vanilla, mm -hmm. but it's there's so like Ariella said, there's so much honey on there that like that's that's yeah. it's like 
overpowering, which is, you know, I love, I always have a, a sweet tooth. So that, uh, that's always. <laughs> There's like right a, <laughs> like lemon, like citrus kind of smell as well. Notes, yeah. yeah. Little, little citrus, citrus notes, yeah. um, like lemon rinds, that kind of bitterness. So when I tell people, actually, the best way to smell it is after you drink it. You know, that, that empty glass, you know, it's got some great smells. And now after the alcohol has kind of dissipated, man, those those smells really have come out stronger. But... Oh. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I get the van- vanilla wafer. That That's kind of what I'm kind of stuck on right um, now. Could yeah. be because I had some of those earlier, too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah sometimes like the food that you ate before would impart on your palate that day yeah it's a, good I a small too, child actually. yeah <laughs> this is actually kind of um kind of unique because with the you said it's a blend of the six and a 15 year you know blend but it's not super oaky you know it's, you know a lot of times you get up to like, you know that mm-hmm. 12 in your mark you get a lot of oak and i'm not a, i'm not a huge fan of like you know it hits you in the face uh, and it could be because uh, you blending with the, the younger one, maybe it's just a, a real good balance of, of that. It's like you still get the oak, but it's just like just enough, you know? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on, Devon. The, 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 the 15-year-old that we ended up using, you know, typically a 15-year-old could be way over oak. It's, it's like yeah. the taste of the liquid oak. This 15-year-old that we, we selected, it was actually on the lower floors of the Rick Warehouse. And typically it, it'll, it'll age slower. Okay. Um, in a cooler climate in the in age in the Rick Warehouse. Basically, I don't know if you've ever been in a Kentucky, uh, in a Rick Warehouse in Kentucky, but, you know, they're they're basically six, seven stories high, metal clad, um, you know, three tiers per floor. And what happens is, is that the ethanol vapors are heavier than, than air. And so as evaporation takes place, all those ethanol vapors settle on the lower floors of that warehouse. So if you go inside a, a traditional brick style warehouse in Kentucky in, in the heat of summer, 90 degrees outside, man, you think somebody turned on the air conditioning. It's cool in that <laughs> warehouse. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an alcohol bath, basically. That's all those ethanol vapors. And so it's, it's high humidity, a little cooler. And so the, the whiskey will age a little bit slower in, in the lower floors. And, and so okay. that's where you can get such a, uh, you know, an old whiskey without being an over old. Yeah, it's really good. And yeah, especially very balanced. Yeah, especially for it be um, ninety proof. I honestly, yes, I, I, I'm a high proof snob. Mostly, you guys know that. So when mm-hmm. I, I see something below hundred, I'm like, oh man, I'm not gonna like this really at all. But um, it's 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 good because there's a lot of lower proof uh, bourbons that you just get like there's just no flavors. It's just, it's just so watered down and everything, but. Um, that's not what this is at all. You know, there, you get so much flavor, uh, in a, in a 90 proof pour. I mean, that's, it, it's solid. Yeah. Yeah. I was literally just getting ready to ask what the proof was. Cause I don't have the bottle. I just have the sample. Um, because yeah, it's a nice balance. It's not oaky. It's not too sweet. You know, it's almost right there in that half and half, you know, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Thank you really smooth for for um for my palate too uh you know i wasn't r- real sure i'm always like a little touch of water for me that that always ends up being what, what i end up going with 
Well, in uh, that little water, it, it can open up some of the flavors yeah. as well sometimes. But both of these are, are 90 proof. And to your point, Damon, it's one of the things that I try to do is, is when I, you know, because I tried these at 80, 86, 90, you know, and higher. And what I try to do, because every, every barrel of whiskey is different, every batch of, of whiskey is different. And what I try to do is I start knocking it down, proof point at a time, until I get to the point where that alcohol burn kind of subsides and, uh -huh. and the caramel, vanilla, and all the great flavors overtake that profile. Yeah. And so you don't get so much burn. You still get a nice little warm Kentucky hug. Yeah, you do. Down, down you do. Smoke. Yeah. But, but it's, it's not burning. You know, it's not burning your esophagus all the way down. So, um, but yeah, to me, that's, that's the proper balance when you're proofing. And both these uh, samples you're tasting tonight are both 90 proof, actually. That was a sweet spot on these. So just on the 20, is this a 2020 release then? Or, and is 2021 going to be a different blend? Or like, no, what so, kind of, how are you going to, uh, you know, do the consistency on 20, like each yeah, year? Yeah, this came out actually late 2019, I believe it was okay. earlier, yeah, 2019. And so, and then 2020. And um, probably late next year, uh, when, when our whiskey becomes of age, because we still have enough in inventory, hopefully to bridge the gap until we get to that point of late next year and we can start using some of our own, own whiskey. Um, depending on how it matches up and you know flavor profile, we may do some blending with some older stuff to kind of create that balance and transition into our, our flagship uh, profile oh, down the road. Okay. So, um, I was okay. just about to see that because I've actually been having random conversation with bourbon friends about, you know, the, the brands that are using, uh, you know, they're, you know, sourcing uh, their barrels. And so that, you know, their stuff is being aged. Now I, I was wondering like this whole week, I was like, I wonder how they make that transition, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, you have people who are fans of what you have in your bottle now, then now you have a different mash bill, but you, you answer that. I think that's a, a smart move. Well, it's 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 a logical move, number one, because uh, you're right. You you create a fan base out there, and the last thing you want to do is just totally leave that fan base or, or disrespect that fan base by changing the taste profile so dramatically that you know you just shot yourself in the foot, basically. And so we don't want to do that. Um, and then it's you know there's a lot of tasting, a lot of uh, analysis that goes with that that uh, process. But uh, I'm confident with what we've got aging. Uh, you know, my, my goal is to come up with something actually more flavorful, more, you know, higher quality than, than what we have offering right now. That's, that's the ultimate goal. And I think we're, we're on track to do that. I was gonna say, it's a good, good start with what you got going now. Cause that was, um, I'm, I, I usually go a little higher than, you know, 90 proof. Um, maybe not as high as Demond. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 150. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, you know, uh, but, but no, I, I thought I, I, I it was kind of nice not to have that big burn, but yeah. it's still, still some there, like he, you said, Demont, there's still flavor there and, uh -huh. and a nice flavor. And uh, I thought that really stood out. You know, to, again, to kind of talk to that point a little bit more, you know, when, when chicken cock, before I actually got involved with them uh, in 2016, the brand was celebrating its 160th anniversary. And so, uh, Madi actually, to begin the process of, of offering a higher quality product, he acquired some, some bourbon from uh, MGP in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. I'm sure you're familiar with them, Midwest Grain Products. Yeah. Never heard. Uh, 
Never heard of them. <laughs> the big sorcerer. Well, I, can, I can probably I sit here and name you 40 to 50 brands that use MGP bourbon oh, still to yeah. this day. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, good whiskey. No, no, no question about it. Good whiskey. And uh, but anyhow, Marty acquired uh, about 40 barrels and he came out with the 160th anniversary was eight year old chicken cock bourbon um, single barrel. And it, it was good. Um, actually, very good. And what, what's amazing is there were a lot of other companies that were buying and bottling that same whiskey. Now, some won double gold medals at, at uh, you know, competitions. Some didn't. Mm -hmm. Same whiskey. Yeah. Well, why is that? Well, it's because what they did with it, you know, some do single barrels, some do small batches, some offer it at, at, at a hundred and some odd proof, some offer it at 86 proof, you know, depending on what you do with it is going to go a long way in, in the quality that you achieved. And so um, the point being is that, you know, you had all this same whiskey uh, coming from the same place, but yet totally different as far as the quality spectrum goes. So. And, and then before we get to the, the, the rye, I'm curious, what, what drew you to, to them and Chicken Cock and kind of that vision? Because obviously you've had a hell of a career. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit here uh, after we taste the second one. Because um, for, for folks that are whiskey lovers and bourbon lovers, uh, you've had your hand in, in some big releases and, and lineups. What, what drew you back into the game, so to speak? Back into the game. I never left the game. Well, I know, but, but I mean, back, back being a master distiller, I guess I should say. Well, you know, I, I never held the title of master distiller. I actually had master distillers who, who reported to me uh, in the number of my positions. And, and and again, it's it's not about so much, you know, I work for them or they work for me. It's it's you learn from the people you work with, you know. doesn't matter where you're at on the ladder. You learn from those people. And, and again, I've been very blessed every place I've, I've worked. Uh, to, to learn from people. And, and so, uh, you know, the, the relationship with Chicken Cock, uh, actually my, my son um, was friends with one of, the, uh, one of the managing members and they were looking for some consulting help uh, on the operation side. And, and at the time it was just perfect. I was happened to, happened to start my consulting company. And so I connected with them and, uh, you know, it, it went, went from there. So, um, but again, the brand, it's, it's got a lot of neat history. I think it's got a tremendous future to grow upon. You know, a lot of people buy it just because of the name, uh, you know, to have some fun with it, which is okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, my goal is to you know, buy it because you really like it and think it's a high quality whiskey. And, and again, I'm, I'm thrilled that, that uh, we're on that track and, and uh, can't wait until ours starts uh, uh, coming out of the barrel in, in Bardstown and, and into the bottle. So, uh, I did have a question. What um, was there a specific reason why you guys decided to go the, uh, I guess the Bardstown partnership route? Is just so that you didn't have to make you didn't have to do your own brick and mortar at the time? Is this financially? Yeah, it's it's a financial decision, Demond. It's you know it's it's, it's a, again it's a typical business strategy that a number of companies have adopted. You know, Grain and Barrel Spirits is a really really small company, and and uh, you know this industry is is, is, is you all are aware is, is pretty um, uh, in investment intense. Okay, you yes. got to have investors, yeah. Yeah. and uh, you know if, if you're expecting to make uh, money right off the bat, you got to have patience. <laughs> Yeah. So you, you got to let that whiskey age and, and uh, it just, it takes time and patience and a lot of money. So, um, but again, being a small company, they don't have the, 
the production facility assets. And so it was uh, made more sense given the, the situation uh, to, to tap into some of those opportunities and, and of the options, uh, Bardstown Bourbon Company was by far the, the best option. And, and from an exposure, they're right on the bourbon trail. I mean, mm -hmm. it's easy to get to uh, right off the, the Bluegrass Parkway uh, for those who are familiar with, with the area in Kentucky. And uh, it's a beautiful facility and, and uh, just keeps getting better. Yeah, it's nestled in what what Barstown calls themselves with bourbon capital or something like it. They do refer yes, to themselves as the bourbon capital of the yeah. world. <laughs> so, so I mean that that seems seems very very fitting uh, to to be there. And um, you know, now obviously we've got two that we're trying. Uh, the rye is up next. So you want to talk a little bit about the rye? Yeah, so let's talk about the rye again. It's it's a little bit same bottle, but it's actually a green label. You can tell that versus the, yeah. the dark blue, mm -hmm. and. Um, Again, this is 90 proof. Now, I can be a little more transparent on this one, which I, I, I'm a big believer in transparency, but this was part of our collaborative relationship with Bardstown Bourbon Company. This was actually been, um, produced at Bardstown Bourbon Company. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for years, I, I wasn't much of a rye fan. Uh, when I was managing director at Wild Turkey Distillery, you know, we made a rye back then, didn't make a lot of it, but it, it had like 35, 36% corn in the mash bill. And there was just a harshness of bitterness to that rye that didn't sit well with my palate. So I wasn't a big, big rye fan. But uh, when, when I started going out and looking for a good quality rye and ended up uh, going with the Bardstown Bourbon Company, um, some of these 95.5, 95% rye, 5% malted barley ryes, mm -hmm. I found it absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, just some of the, the characteristics and right now, not everybody's a rye drinker. Because it is a, a different animal altogether. It really is. And um, it's, um, again, this was 95% rye, 5% malted barley. Um, we just laid down another 200 barrels of it uh, the first of, of uh, first week of March. Huh. Um, and so, you know, uh, again, I, I just, the, the nose on this, what, what, are you, what are you getting on the nose? Apple, huge apple. There's something that I'm smelling and I can't. I just can't figure it out, and I know that as soon as I, I'm, as soon as I log off of here, I'm going to figure it out. But yeah, it's apple for me. Definitely, I get, um, I get you know mint also. You know that rye. A lot mm -hmm. of people, a lot of people say mint or spearmint. Yeah, know. yeah. It's I, I'm getting a little bit of that rye grassiness. You know, is, is some of the things that you know you can tell right away when you smell it. Yeah, that's a rye. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's sweet though. I was just about to say there are certain ryes that I've tried, and it's like, you know, you there's like that sweet rye, and that's that's what I'm getting on the nose on this one. Yeah, it, like it's not spicy at all. It doesn't really bite. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's um I kind of like spearmint. I think it's one like uh, the Wrigley's gum, like the green one. Spearmint, yeah. You smell it. Yeah. Said mint spearmint is a common. Uh, yeah you know, comment that people get. I mean, I get a little bit of spice myself, actually. I, I like to do a lot of uh, cooking on my green egg. You know, you, you talked about yeah, uh, yeah. what's your favorite place to enjoy a drink. Well, if I'm out there by my pool bar, I usually have the green egg fired up and I'm, I'm smoking a good piece of, of uh, pork or beef or something. And, and uh, but uh, I make my own dry rub and I use a lot of paprika and, and, a, and a lot of cumin in my dry rub. And, you know, I'm getting, I get some of those notes as well. 
You keep talking about your house. It sounds like we need to come hang out with you. Yeah. <laughs> you come this way. It's, pool? uh, <laughs> pool's not open yet. It, it'll be open, uh, well, about this time next month. So I was going to say, yeah. I mean, next week it's going to be 80 here. I mean, come yeah, on. It is. I know. But as you said, we had snow here, what, a couple last week? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's fun to wake up to a half inch of snow. Well, I had oh, about no. close to three inches up where I live, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. But like you said, it melted by, by midday. So that's Kentucky. Uh, for those yeah, that, that don't live here, you get all seasons in every yeah, week. It was 72 degrees the day before, and uh, make up next morning, I've got two to three inches on the ground. So we're hard. like that in Virginia, too, man. It, it'll, it'll legit be there was one week last month, it was legit 80 degrees on Monday, and by Saturday, it was snowing. Yeah, yep, that's the <laughs> south for tough. you. <laughs> I think my favorite story on that is, uh, uh, it was a couple of years ago. I woke up to about 12 inches of snow and I'm from West Virginia. I'm used to a lot of snow. I mean, I lived in the mountains, not, not too far from white sulfur Springs and Beckley. And, uh, you know, so I'm used to the snow. I mean, one winter we had three feet of snow all, all winter in our yard, but you know, 12 inches in Lexington, Kentucky shuts everything down. Well, by midday it had all melted. I had never seen a foot of snow melt in six hours in my life. And it was all gone. You would have had no clue if you came in that afternoon that it snowed, but that's Kentucky. The South right on yep. that border, that South borderline. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. So what are you tasting? Any, any comments taste yet? You definitely get the, that, that sweetness in there. The, um, the spice kicks in a lot more on, on the palate than uh, when you actually taste it on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of heat, nothing too crazy though. Um, I think for both of these, actually, I, I mean, maybe I'm crazy, but I feel like they both actually drink a little bit. Like, if I would have not known it was 90 proof, I probably would have thought they were both probably around like 100 proof. That's not even that's not a bad thing. It's just you know, it's it's. I think it's just something that's super unique about it because it's just you know, once again, you're. When I think 90 proof, I think something that's, you know, it's not going to, it's, it might be smooth. We're not going to get much complexity. You're not going to get much taste. Um, but I mean, even on the, the nose and on the front palate, you get, you know, it's, it's almost like a, an explosion right off, right off the bat, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's very sweet. The palate is very sweet. All I could think about is this is a great, you know, porch sipping or like back patio in the summer with an ice or, you know, it's Kentucky Derby time, right? So we mm-hmm. could make some mint jollop with this rye. I think it would be like really good. I think the mint is on the palate. It's like really complements really well with the honey, the very sweetness um, kind of kind of palate. And the finish is really sweet as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. This one actually for me is like, uh, the finish is shorter than the bourbon. The bourbon I could see it being like a hundred proof. This is like actually a 90 proof for me. Yeah, this is definitely a little bit sweeter than some of the rides that I've tried before. I mean, I haven't yeah. had a ton of rides, but you know, this one is on the sweeter side to me. Not, a, not in a bad way. You know what I feel like it is? I feel, and I'm not, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not a ride guy very much at all. You always say I like <laughs> one out of six or seven rides. Chris and A, they know, like, I'm just like, get it away from me. Um, <laughs> But this, you know, the, the sweetness in here is almost like a really good introductory ride. You know, it's something where, yeah, like, I agree. Agree. Ride. So this isn't super overpowering or anything like that. It's just like, you know what? I know you say you're not in the ride. You know, let's try, let's try this, 
<laughs> it's funny. Times. Let's try this chicken cock. You know, this <laughs> and, you know, let me see how you feel. It's, it's like a, a good ease into it. I mean, it's 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 solid. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's a nice introductory one. I, I think it's because it is on the sweeter side. I, I which I like. I'm 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 kind of like the mono. I have a little bit of a sweet tooth and prefer much sweeter on on any of the bourbon or anything that I have. Um, and this yeah. is not finished in anything, right? This is just American oak on. Th- there's this is just straight exactly. rye. It's not not it's not secondary finished at all, right? And then the sweetness again to me that's that's part of the. You know, I get the spiciness, and, and you said a little heat to mine. You know, little peppery notes, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the on the tongue, but then that that uh, caramel and vanilla and sweetness of, mm-hmm. of the the oak really starts to come on the back of the tongue and the back of the palate a little bit. And you're right, the, the finish is is Ariel. It's much shorter than, than the bourbon. Um, you know, I, I like my whiskeys either neat or on the rocks, typically. And on, I'm not on. a big cocktail fan, but occasionally I'll have a cocktail if I go out to dinner. But a friend of mine introduced me good old fashioned that he made with this rye and it was phenomenal. I, I just, you know, it said the sweetness really complemented the flavors yeah. of, of the old fashioned and it, it made a fantastic for those people like a Manhattan or an old fashioned. This really makes, makes a great drink. So yeah, I'll have to try that then for, for sure. Now, now you, you've kind of alluded to this, Greg, uh, that you have a little bit of a history in this industry, just a little bit, you know, four decades, just a little, uh, can you can you talk a little bit about that? Because I mean, you've pretty much done everything, uh, and I think one of the coolest things that, or maybe not the coolest thing, but one of the things that I, I found really interesting was you were pretty much instrumental in launching for Wild Turkey fans the Russell Reserve line. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a yeah. fan. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm a fan too, and I did. I actually created the the Russell's Reserve brand. Actually, that's so cool. That's awesome. Wow, that's awesome. It's, it's a great brand, and they've done a great, great job with it as far as extending the, the different offerings that they've got now. And and uh, actually had some friends that, that did a barrel pick uh, on Russell's here a while back, and I did a podcast with them, uh, some guys from Brazelton, Georgia, podcast with oh. them uh, yesterday. Uh, they're called BS and Bourbon. Are you maybe familiar? Oh with them. yes, BS and guys Bourbon. Guys are crazy. Yes. They're wild. They're wild. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, we met. I met them down at the Bardstown Bourbon Company and, and gave them a, a quick tour. And we did a little sampling of what we have aging down there and did a did a quick follow up podcast. Because I was down in the Atlanta area here a couple months ago and, and did a podcast with them and met those guys. But uh, um, but anyhow, uh, back to the story of Russell's Reserve. Yeah, I I started there in uh, March of. 1998 and uh ricard owned wild turkey at that time and um i hadn't been there a couple months and the folks at pernod ricard says you know would you mind taking a look at our our barrel inventory we think we have too much whiskey in the warehouse i said well i can do that i said but I, i need to know what your sales forecast are going out into the future and he said, well, just figure 2% growth on all the wild turkey brands out for the next three years. And I said, well, that's great. But you have brands that are at least 12 years old. So I need to know what your sales forecasts are out for the next 12 years. That's part of the beauty of this industry. You know, We don't have crystal balls and we're not clairvoyant. And it's difficult to predict what you're going to sell 10, 12 years from now. Correct. Because yeah. you got to be making it now. It's going to be a proper age out at that, that time frame. So. Anyhow, they said, well, just figure it, to keep it simple, figure 2% on all the different brands. You know, back then we had the 80 proof, we had the 101, we had the 
um, you know, rare breed. We had the Kentucky Spirit. And then we had, you know, a 12-year-old that we sold uh, internationally and then a few other products. But in some eight-year, we sold international. So anyhow, I, I in my previous uh, experience, I created a, a work uh, Excel spreadsheet. It's called a, a, a distillation or liquidation distillation model. And basically, it takes your inventory by year, what your barrels are, and it factors in what the yield should be, given the age of it, um, you know, due to angel share. And, uh, and you figure out what your proof gallons are, and then you take the cases that you're going to sell, you know, forecasting to sell, and plug the proof gallons you need and extract it out, and you carry it on out year after year after year after year. And it kind of shows you, you know, kind of gives you a roadmap of, okay, here's what you got in inventory, here's how you're going to use up those barrels. But then going forward, as, as you get farther out into it, here's what you need to produce to have available for sales going out into the future. So it's pretty simple once you look at it and understand it. But I did that and it came back to him. I said, you know what? I said, uh, you don't have too much whiskey, but you got too much old whiskey. And they looked puzzled and they said, what do you mean? I said, well, what's happened is this. And like many companies in, in the industry, uh, when the bourbon industry started to decline, um, you know, the financial teams kind of took, took a hold of the reins and they were looking for ways to cut costs, you know, maintain margins because sales were declining. And so at that time, it was a finance group in New York City at the corporate office in New York City that was telling the, the distillery what barrels to pull to dump for the various products. Of course, at that time, Wild Turkey 101 was probably, gosh, 75 to 80 percent of the total volume that Wild Turkey sold. And so the finance group, every year they'd use six and a half year old bourbon for the Wild Turkey 101. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, six and a half, seven plus years ago, they were making more whiskey than what they were selling at that time. And so they kept getting older and older. And so the next year rolled around and the finance folks said, well, we can't use that, that same whiskey because it's a year older now. It's, you know, through evaporation, there's less whiskey in it. And we had to pay another year of Avalorum taxes. So the component cost is going to increase. We can't increase our component costs. We got to maintain our component costs if not decrease it. Well, guess what? You know, it's it's not going to get any cheaper. It's going yeah. to keep evaporating yeah. and get more and more expensive. So I finally convinced the powers of be. I said, number one, let finance do finance. Let the folks at the, at the distillery uh, determine what barrels we're going to use. Uh, but you've got three options. Number one is you've got to start using some of that older whiskey. Now, not in such high percentages in the blend that, that you're going to dramatically change the taste profile like we talked earlier. You can use some of that older whiskey in small enough percentages uh, to use it up gradually without changing, dramatically changing the taste profile. That's a must. We got to do that. So we started doing that. I said, the second option is you can try to sell aged whiskey on the open market. But in 1998, nobody was buying aged whiskey. Not like but if they were, they'd aged. have been smart. If they were, well, they'd have been smart. Yeah. <laughs> should have been uh, hanging on to it uh, because yeah nowadays it is extremely difficult to find good quality whiskey and and when you do it's not cheap it's expensive as heck which yep. tends to drive up the price point so so yeah so um anyhow so that that uh, really wasn't an option but i said the third option is this i said you know we can start a, a a new bourbon brand and i said you know what it's high time this company paid tribute to one of the greatest master distillers that, that ever worked in this industry and that's jimmy russell and i've 
Jimmy Russell's a d- dear friend of mine. I love him to death. He and Eddie both worked for me for a little over 10 years. And, and I thank the world of Jimmy. I, I'd do anything for that man. I'd take a bullet for that man, but he's, uh, he's a true prince. He's, he's really the last of the true Mohicans that kind of grew up with <laughs> corn dust under their fingernails and, and uh, you know, oh. the true master distillers. So unfortunately, uh, you know, guys that were good friends and, and friends of mine, Booker No and, and uh, Elmer T. Lee and Parker Beam, you know, those guys have, have, uh, have since passed, but, uh, you know, their memory will last forever. And Definitely. luckily, Jimmy's still around with us and still hanging in there. Yeah. So, but uh, Jimmy didn't know this. And, uh, you know, our, our, our folks in, in New York, they said, well, that's great. Now, what, what should we call it? And I said, well, for lack of a better name, why don't we just call it Russell's Reserve? They said, yeah, it's got a nice ring to it. So I worked with the marketing group to come up with the packaging and so forth and put together component costs for the finance folks. But Jimmy didn't know this. So one day I asked Jimmy, I said, Jimmy, I said, we got some great whiskey, some bourbon up there on the fourth floor of B Warehouse. He said, you mind grabbing a sample of that sometime today? And let's take a look at it. I said, the company's thinking about, you know, coming out with a new brand. He said, okay. So that afternoon I had a meeting with the union at the plant there and we were just wrapping things up and get a knock on the door. And as Jimmy opens the door, he says, Greg, you busy? He said, no, Jimmy, come on in. We're, we're finishing things up. So he hands me a little snifter glass of this, uh, this whiskey. Here's that, that sample you wanted to try. And I got it about a foot from my face and man, the caramel and vanilla about knocked my head off my shoulder. I couldn't believe <laughs> the aroma. It was so intense. And I tasted it and, and uh, looked at Jimmy and he just, you know, Jimmy didn't say anything. He just kind of uh... nodded, give me that little grin, like that's pretty good stuff. And, I said, wow, that's amazing, Jim. And he, and he concurred, of course. But again, he didn't know this was going to be called Russell Deserve or attributed. So later on, once we got the packaging, the, the original package was the tall uh, standard wild turkey bottle, the old wild uh-huh. turkey bottles. It was in the 1990s. And, uh, uh, you know, it had some some uh, uh, gold uh, print on, on the bottle and so forth. Uh, but it was 101 proof. Initially, that we wanted to come out with 101 proof. A couple of years into it later on, the marketing folks got uh, more involved and they decided to knock it down to 90 proof because they were afraid that too many people didn't like the high proof and it wasn't selling. So they wanted the more of the lower proofs, which has totally flipped since then. Yeah. Uh, most people like the higher proofs nowadays. But anyhow, they knocked it down to 90 proof and put it in the, the existing short squatty bottle that it's in now. But uh, so later on, we, we kind of, when the pro- time was appropriate, we kind of did a little presentation and, and uh, told Jimmy we were naming it uh, Russell Reserve as a tribute to him. And, and he shed a few tears and was, was pretty proud about that. But uh, great bourbon, especially for the price. It's tough to beat. And, and uh, it's, it, it really is a tribute to, to one of the greatest, greatest people that ever worked in this industry. That's wow, awesome. That's, Thank yeah, you for sharing that. That's awesome. That's a, such a great anecdote just because I'm a fan of Russell's and yeah. Wild Turkey. That's my number one. So, <laughs> Good whiskey, for sure. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I, you know, and I, uh, the, I, I was sold on the Russell's, you know, now it's like, you know, I come across you know, especially at Russell's store picks, like, oh my God, like, get, give me what, what, whenever I can find them, I want them. <laughs> Well, Demond and the guys I was telling you about, the guys from BS and Bourbon, they're, they're connected with the Cork and Keg up in Braselton, Georgia. And, and uh, Tommy and, and uh, Daniel Kitchen, who uh, owned the Cork and Keg, they were with them and they're part of this podcast. But they brought me a bottle of the Russell's uh, pick. They actually have a, a, a label on it. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Russell's, he chews Red Man tobacco, okay? And so they have a label that looks like the Red Man tobacco label. <laughs> And it says Russell's man on it. It's got a picture of Jimmy on it. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. But I mean, 
they gave me a bottle of it uh, yesterday and I got home last night and I opened it and man, it just brought back so many great memories of the yeah. caramel and vanilla bomb that, uh, that I remember. So yeah, that's great, awesome. great. It was a great store. Pick. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I figured everyone would, would love since you all don't, don't read up on everyone of our guests. I figured y'all would love, love that, that, that story, story from Greg. Cause that that's awesome. To, Cause like I said, I mean, 40 years, I mean, you've worked in literally every probably facet, uh, of this industry. I mean, especially the cooperage. I mean, that's kind of amazing and in, in and of itself. And uh, be, be, as we, we wrap this up, anyone got any other questions before I ask my last question? Um, I, I mean, you know, we've tried the bourbon and the rye, you know, what, you know, what's next for you guys, Are you guys do anything, uh, any, any specialties, any, you know, the, the new thing is, you know, toasted bourbon or anything finishing something, you know, like what's next with chicken cock? Well, we've done a couple of uh, uh, limited offerings. Um, yes, done I saw actually that. Two, we did a uh, chicken cock beer barrel select, which was actually, we, we gave Goodwood Brewing Company, Louisville, Kentucky, mm -hmm. we gave them uh, uh, some bourbon barrels, freshly done bourbon barrels. They aged a walnut brown beer for about six to eight weeks in those barrels, mm -hmm. dumped the bit when the beer was ready, they took it out. I got the barrels back and I put bourbon back in those barrels. And it took a little bit, a little over six months for it to, to saturate all the flavor it was going to. But it was really unique. It, to me, it tasted more like an Irish whiskey. You really got that malted barley flavor. Oh, uh, wow. Up front. But it had some of the nice complexities of the caramel vanilla that you get from bourbon. It was really kind of unique. And then we followed that up with a second collaboration with them where we did a, uh, it was called uh, Chicken Cock Righteous Blonde. Righteous spelled R-Y-E-T-E-O-U-S. Oh. And uh, try to get around some of the TTB uh requirements on labeling uh, but uh, uh, it's same thing we gave them six empty bourbon barrels they put a blonde ale in those barrels and wow. eight weeks later they took the blonde ale out I got them back and I put rye whiskey in it this time and it was a little over five months that rye whiskey was in those barrels but same thing just some spectacular flavors to me that's one of my favorites you know if I'm going to sit out back on the deck and I'll pour just a neat and, and a little Glencairn like that and sip that. I mean, it has such a sweetness that it, is, it takes care of a sweet tooth after dinner. But uh, late, late last year, we did a 15-year-old barrel proof. Uh, mm. Yeah, remember 15-year-old can be real woody. These barrels I personally selected on the lower floor. And it, it to me, it was in my top five of all time. I mean, wow. when I first smelled it, I smelled not just chocolate covered cherry. I smelled dark chocolate covered. Now you get that bitter sweetness. From the dark chocolate and the cherries and i mean it was just and the flavor complexity was amazing it was 114 proof um there's still it was only sold in kentucky we sold some online but but it was only sold in kentucky and liquor barns in, in kentucky which is a huge huge <laughs> mm -hmm. out, liquor outlet so, just in, a little little store yeah. just a little <laughs> they, store. they're all over but um, they bought the lion's share of it. they bought the majority of it. there's still probably a few bottles left on their shelf it retails for for 300 a bottle it wow. is something spectacular, though. It is amazing. So Wow. So back to your question, Devon. I kind of spilled you know, on some of the, the limited stuff we've been doing. Uh, we've got a few things on, on the, the drawing board right now. We're looking at doing a, a bourbon uh, rye blend. Uh, also looking at doing a rye finished in some rum barrels. And so um, we're kind of putting all the pieces together right now, but I'm hoping before the end of the year, we'll have some of those out. And we hope to continue to do some, you know, limited offerings to, to not only bridge the gap, but kind of give our consumers uh, some, some different 
uh, different things to try. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I love how you're, you're working with it. It's, is it Ted down at Goodwood? Yeah, Ted, Ted Mitchell. Great yep, guy. Yep. yep. Great had, guy. Had him on. And I know he works with Bardstown a little bit too. So that had a, yep. had to yep. be a nice, nice little, little, little combo package there because they, they yeah, do some interesting sure. things. Because they, they, they age their beer in all barrels. That's how they do all of their stuff. And I'm telling you what, they got some fantastic beers. Oh my gosh. That, that might be the beer for you, Damon. You think so? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You're, you're, I, I'm still thinking about that one. One of these days, I've got to find one for you just because, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not an IPA guy, Damon. I don't know if you are or not, or if you're not a beer drinker at all, but I, I'm more of a lager guy. I, I like the, the, you know, the, the walnut brown ales and the blonde ales, lagers that they, they, they do. But, uh, if you like little uh, wood flavoring, man, they do a fantastic. They got some fabulous. Yeah, I was not a beer guy at all. So, <laughs> but but he's Fair on enough, a man. he's Fair on enough. a podcast called Hops and Spirits. I want him to try to drink beer one time. So. A stout, I think a stout. There you go. Yeah, there, there, there's plenty of uh, bourbon barrel uh, aged things out there that we, we exactly. can find something for you. But uh, so. Hey. I, I guess what my last question for the group too is what, what was your favorite, you know, anything like that for me personally, surprisingly it was the rye. I think I enjoyed the rye the most. Yeah. I I, I would agree with that. You know, the, the and that's no slight to the bourbon, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, for me, once again, I'm not a huge rye fan. So whenever I come across a rye that, you know, that I actually enjoy you know, that, that really sticks out for me. And so, I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's the rye is definitely my favorite. Yeah, I actually I, I like the bourbon the most just because uh, you know it being ninety proof, I got a lot more flavor than what I was expecting, and it was it was nice. Yeah, and I my favorite was the bourbon as well. Um, it it was actually pretty complex for a ninety proof. Um, has like a lot of like that honey uh, that that I like in in my palate, and it's 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 a solid uh, bourbon definitely for a ninety proofer. And, and Greg, what was your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> well I, you know I, I i try i'll take the fifth on that one okay yeah <laughs> you, don't, you can't pick when it's when it's your kids you can't ever tell us who you're well I, I will say the 15 year old that we had was was phenomenal it uh um of all the chicken cock renditions <laughs> actually the 15 and we had one that, that i the, my first um introduction the first one that i really got involved in got my hands dirty on uh, I mentioned the, the MGP, the eight-year-old single barrel that we had. Came out in 2016. Well, in 2018, uh, I asked Marty, the founder, I said, you know, let me have that last 12 barrels uh, of that MGP. And I said, let me do something special with it. Now, I like single barrels, but my biggest rub with single barrels, they could be so inconsistent, barrel right. to barrel to barrel. You know, you put the same whiskey in two identical barrels from the same cooperage, on the same day and age them side by side in the same warehouse for the same length of time. And they can be both ends of the spectrum. They can be yeah. so different. So what I did is I took 12 barrels. I did my sensory analysis and, and kind of the process I was telling you earlier, I started knocking them down. They range from 108 to 115 proof in the barrel. So I started knocking them down a proof point at a time till I got to the point where I felt that alcohol burn subsided and the, and the flavors overtook the profile. And for that bourbon, for that whiskey, that, that was uh, 104 proof. And um, then I started matching up uh, from my sensory notes, barrels that were pretty dominant in certain characteristics with ones that were less dominant. And I tried to get some consistency from batch to batch. And we called it chicken cock 10 year old double barrel batch. And you know, when most people hear double barrel, they think, well, you finished it in the secondary barrel. 
No, double barrel. We did two barrels per batch. And by doing huh. that, I was able to get the consistency, made six batches out of, out of 12 barrels and was able to get some consistency throughout the entire realm of batches, but didn't over dilute the flavor that that, that whiskey had to offer. And it was absolutely fantastic at 104, I guarantee at 104 proof, it was much smoother than either one of these, these 90 proofs. I mean, just, wow. yeah. Wow. So wow. I don't know if there's any bottles of those out there left, but uh, <laughs> if you find one, it, uh, and again, it was, I think it retailed for about two two fifty a bottle, but it was again, something pretty special. It was good stuff. Nice. Wow. That, 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 that's awesome. And, and Greg, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to one fill us in on the history of chicken cock. Also talk a little bit about your career, which is amazing. And, and, and uh, I, like I said, I really appreciate you taking the time to just ha have some drinks with us. Yeah. Thank My you pleasure. so much, Greg. Thanks. Appreciate it. My pleasure, gang. I, again, I, I appreciate the opportunity to meet with you tonight and uh, share a little bit about chicken cock. And hopefully uh, as, as we start dumping some barrels and bottling in the future, we can chat again. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Uh, that was a fun flight night. Now we switch gears from bourbon and keep it in the spirits world nonetheless. And, you know, the Derby's coming up this weekend. Uh, but next week is another special day for, for many people, Cinco de Mayo. And to help us celebrate that, we have Gaston Martinez, CEO and founder of ISO Spirits. Gaston, thank you for taking some time to, to talk about your tequilas. Oh, wonderful. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the invite. Uh, happy to be here. Now, I usually do this. Uh, we, we did it with the crew earlier in, in the episode. We do one tough question. It may not be that tough. Uh, the question is, do you prefer to have a drink on your back patio or porch or at the bar? Which would you prefer? Oh, boy. I think at the bar. You know, I, I like the social part. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, when uh, you have a small group, uh, close friends, you know, it's nice too. But, uh, you know, especially after the pandemic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm uh, I'm ready to go back to the bar and uh, you know enjoy a nice cocktail and, and uh, socialize. And nothing wrong with that. I, I totally understand. Everyone earlier said uh, outdoor. I'm a big outdoor guy, but there's something about uh, maybe being at a bar or club and sitting on their patio uh, that I, I just can't pass sure. up, especially when the weather is nice, which I think we're finally getting into uh, for the majority of <laughs> uh, of us. <laughs> Uh, now, now my first question for, for you is how did you, cause you know, ISO spirits hasn't been around forever, uh, but it's something that you, uh, I guess kind of felt a calling to, to kind of keep some traditions going. So how did you guys launch, uh, uh, this, this spirits company and why? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, everything started with our mezcal, you know, I was uh, born and raised in a small town called Durango, Mexico. And uh, uh, we have a lot of tradition there. And especially the, the mezcal has been there for close, close to 400 years, right? And then uh, is, this is our way to celebrate, to, to, uh, to uh, you know, get together. And, and uh, kind of, uh, you know, my idea was, let's, let's keep that tradition. Let's, let's show how we, you know, uh, you know enjoy ourselves. And, and when we get together, uh, I bring always the, the mezcal. And from the mezcal, you know, another spirits come along, you know, so tolls and then tequilas, bacanoras and, and all that. But uh, yeah, the, the, the idea behind uh, this uh, brand is, uh, you know, my, my goal of, uh, you know, passing along my, my heritage, my, my, um, the way we celebrate, the way we, 
you know, go go on and have a little bit of fun, you know, after a day of uh, hard work. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and you you mentioned you know the the mezcal and and other things. Was that kind of what you? It just went so well with that that then you started to look at other <laughs> things that you could go, or was it just? I mean, how to, how to, cause I mean, expanding can be difficult um, oh, wow. <laughs> and, danger, yeah. and you know, it's, it's, it's tough to do. So, I mean, obviously things had to be going well or feedback was, was well. No, sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, the mezcal, I mean, that, uh, that we create, uh, I mean, our profile, keep in mind that we, we own a distiller, right? We, we, as I mentioned, always, uh, we, uh, we are a company from ground to glass. That means, you know, we take the, the whole context of the process from the harvesting, from the cooking, the agave, from the fermentation, from distillation, bottling, processing, promoting, and, and you know, getting the bottle into, into your hands. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, definitely Mezcal uh, had a great impact. I mean, it was well received. And uh, in 2020, uh, when the pandem pandemic hit uh, us and, and uh, we kind of thought the idea of uh, adding more products and becoming uh, one of the few uh, um, spirit companies that can produce and, and bring uh, almost all the Mexican agave spirits, right? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the idea uh, because the brand was solid uh, and it was, you know, consistent. Let's integrate, you know, more members to the family, have a better shell presence and, and showcase what, what it's all about, about the Mexican uh, spirits. And can you talk a little bit for those that don't understand uh, where, where the Mexican spirits come from or, or you know, the, the grain, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that most people would think of, you know, for whiskeys and stuff, it's corn. Uh, not so much for, for uh, Mexican spirits, oh, it's the agave. No. It's the agave. I mean, the agave uh, is, is uh, the key element for our process. Um, uh, let's go back uh, to that. Uh, we use all, for our mezcal and sotols, uh, we use wild agave. And the agave is uh, like a desert plant. Uh, it takes between eight and 10 years to be ready to be harvested. And there's a lot of process and, and, and you know, time consuming about the, producing a bottle of mezcal. Uh, only because of that, you know, it takes 10 years. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not like are you doing your whiskey, right? <laughs> you get a lot of grain and that's it, right? I mean, that, yeah. but uh, for us, it's more like, uh, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of labor intense, and the agave is, is one of the, uh, 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 there's in mezcal, there's 50 different type of agaves. In tequila, you have only one is blue agave, but in mezcal, you have 50, right? I mean, and you have nine regions that can produce uh, mezcal in Mexico. And we are in this region, uh, in the state of Durango, and we have 10 different type of agaves there. Uh, but our predominant uh, agave that we use is agave cenizo. And again, it's all wild, it's nice, and, and it has a nice uh, floral and citrus uh, notes and, and very smooth. And we do it like a, with a very nice smoky taste. Mezcal tend to be a, a smoky uh, product because we roast the agave in a fire pit. We use oak wood, and then uh, that kind of help us to get that kind of a smokiness. I personally don't like uh, the mezcal to be too smoky, but uh, in, in a way, you know, we get a nice balance, nice, uh, medium smoke, nice floral uh, fruitness, and a very smooth finish. And, and I was reading today uh, about the, the, the mezcal industry. It looks like that's poised for uh, a lot of growth, hopefully. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing uh, that's something that you're happy to, <laughs> to see. <laughs> those, those, those are the news I want to hear, you know, every day. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so for those that may not understand how the, it's different from tequila or, or some of the other Mexican spirits, what is the difference among, uh, among those? Yeah, well, first of all, it's kind of a, the type of agave, you know, and the, the region that you, you create the product. Uh, we have regions now that are protected uh, with the denomination of origin, and then um, tequila is one. And, uh, but they only use uh, blue agave, right? And the blue agave is the, the one that they, they, they has to be uh, used for tequila. In Mezcal, uh, first of all, I mean, as I mentioned before, we uh, have 50 different types of agaves, nine regions. And uh, what we do is uh, we roast the agave in a fire pit for four or five days. Like, like uh, it's a, like a uh, like smoker, right? I mean, and, and think about that. And then the flavor of, uh, uh, of that, of that uh, different type of process of cooking is, is completely different from, from the tequila. And after that, I mean, the, everything else is kind of uh, similar. You know, it's uh, fermentation, double the distillation, and then uh, filtration, and, and we have an end up product. And then the one that, that uh, I, I was fortunate enough to, to get is the uh, uh, the tequila extra, um, which is a beautiful bottle, by the way. I, it, it is. Uh, did you notice it has an embossed like a like an eagle in, on the on the label, in the front label? Oh, I did not know that. If, if you pay attention, you know, like there's a, a like a Mexican eagle right there. I mean, on the, on our label, but it's hidden. What what we like is to give a lot of information, but not in your face, right? It's just, uh, <laughs> Because, you know, sometimes, you know, companies, they do like a very, very under, hey, I'm here, but uh, our product and our package is a very uh, well and well thought and uh, it's an elegant, but it has a lot of information. It's a very rich product. Yeah. And, and like the, like you said, the bottle is just elegant because, you know, you, it's a kind of the similar size. I mean, a lot of now industry-wide bottles can vary in terms of what shapes and stuff people <laughs> want. Uh, but I feel like this is kind of that elegant look and it's kind of got like a thicker glass that just know, a, it really, a, really pops. It, it is, uh, has a lot of presence. And uh, I don't know if you noticed the stopper. It's an mm-hmm. unmade on its uh, stopper. That means that, you know, every bottle is unique. Every bottle is different. And because we we made uh, those uh, uh, one by one and, and uh, it's kind of a, our signature and every bottle is, is a unique bottle. Whatever you have there, there's no two identical bottles. And that's pretty cool. That, that is awesome. And that is one thing I did notice was the topper, just how, you know, cause it's not just a black cork or anything yeah, like uh, that. There, there, there is a, a cool design and uh, that comes out of that. Now th- this particular tequila, the extra and hollow and yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a, been a week for me with, well, yeah, you need to drink and the more you drink, the more fluent you become in, in Spanish, you know, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, but it just recently won, um, I believe, Tequila of the Year at the London best, Spirits Award. That is correct. Uh, uh, still, uh, gold medal, best, best in show, and the best Tequila of the Year 2021. Yeah, I mean, three factors uh, are, are taken for that uh, award. Uh, packaging, taste, and, and price. Uh, I mean, overall, uh, we, we beat everybody. Yeah, and it, it's, it's amazing. I was able to try it now. I am not the big tequila drinker in, in my house. Uh, that, that would be my wife. Uh, who, <laughs> uh, happy so, wife, happy house, right? I mean. Exactly, exactly. So, so we tried it over the weekend, and it, it, was, it was interesting because it had a little bit of, 
kind of a, I don't want to call it a burn, uh, but a lingering burn uh, when you're just kind of sipping it. But I mm-hmm. still thought it was pretty smooth on the front end. And then when we put it in a cocktail, I thought that was it was it did even more wonders in a cocktail. Um, you know, it just played well with some of the other flavors that you can put in and mix. Um, I'm guessing that's what your, your goal is with any of your, your spirits is to make them either sippable uh, when you're just kind of sitting around with friends or even, you know, put them in a cocktail and, and just enjoy it that way. No, no. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the package, the bottle, the, uh, the product, everything is made to sip. You know, when you have a good product, I mean, uh, that actually tastes good by itself. That is what we are always looking for. Right. I mean, uh, uh, obviously, when you put some, uh, you know, kind of juices and all that, I mean, you create a cocktail, you might hit some kind of mistakes that you have there. Uh, also, you can bring good stuff from 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 spirit, right? It can work both, both ways. But uh, my goal is always to uh, bring something that is really nice, a sipping type of product, but also can be, uh, uh, you know, added to a nice cocktail because you also bring a different type of spectrum in flavors and, and, and all that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and and like I said, uh, uh, that 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 one rave wonders on just how how uh, wonderful it was, especially in a cocktail. Um, I, I don't think my wife really just sips on tequila for the most part. I'm not going to say what she normally does with tequila, but I think people can understand. <laughs> I know. Uh, 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 with that, uh, but uh, you know, as as I don't want to keep you too too long, but you know, w- when you're you're creating new products. Um, what, what goes through that process? Cause I mean, obviously you guys have a nice list now about six, seven different, uh, uh, products out there. Cause this mm-hmm. is a newer one. How, yeah. how do you come up with that? Well, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, again, the idea behind bringing uh, the most of the uh, Mexican agave spirit. Right. And uh, I believe everybody knows about tequila. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty cool, uh, I mean, uh, product. Uh, I think over tequila is overtaking a lot of uh, spaces from different spirits uh, in, in the world, uh, and uh, now the celebrities, you know, are just everybody. Every celebrity wants to own a, a tequila company, right? Uh, the agave spirits uh, are booming, and uh, especially tequila. And obviously, mezcal is coming very strong behind mm-hmm. tequila. Uh, and and uh, you know, it, it's kind of a okay. But for us, let's bring the best of the best, right? Let's, let's try to, that's why this Cristalino, I don't know if you know about the term Cristalino, but this tequila is being aged for three months. This is an, an añejo means that it's been aged for more than three, three years, more than three years, sorry. And after that, it goes to a process. We filter that with a, a, a activated charcoal filter and we take the color out. That's why you have like a blanco tequila, like a clear tequila. Okay. Actually, this tequila has been aged for three years, and then it has a lot of a little bit of a vanilla notes, you know, of uh, you know the oak of the American oak that mm-hmm. we use, and then uh, a nice uh, uh, sweet taste also at the end of the palate that, that gives you all the f- uh, flavors of the agave, and it's a very complex tequila, right? I mean, but uh, this is kind of the newer uh, tequila that is coming out. Uh, and then uh, people are more like, what is Cristalina? They don't understand you have a, a, a añejo, but it's clear. And that's why we are always trying to innovate and bring the new stuff, the new products uh, to the market. And it's been well taken. I mean, the, uh, after you see it, you understand like, oh, now I see, I understand more, right? When you get that little bit of an explanation. Yeah, well, and, and I, I think too, a lot of people, 
uh, nowadays are, are trying to find that kind of complexity or, or a little bit more to a flavor uh, profile. And I think that that really hits, especially with the, uh, the uh, extra anejo uh, cristalina. <laughs> cristalina. See, I you're just, getting, I, you're <laughs> if I just had confidence, I'd be okay. I just, I just don't. Uh, and, and my last question for you is what's next for you guys? Because obviously you've expanded lines. I'm guessing hopefully expanded distribution or something like that. Or, sure, or sure. No, I mean, uh, we, we've been, I mean, the, every time we enter a new market is well received. Uh, now we have presence in, in, in uh, uh, Nevada. We also have presence in Illinois. And uh, we just got a, a, a new uh, contract with a distributor that actually uh, um, help us to distribute in New York, New Jersey. Uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware. And next month, I think we're going to do also uh, a deal with a, a distributor in, in, in Florida. Uh, and we're working also our way uh, to uh, Texas. We have a little bit of presence, but not as much yet. And uh, Mexico, Mexico, the whole Mexico is, is, uh, is doing also, <clears throat> we have a nice contract with Costco, Mexico. And then we're going to do a, a, a distribution through them uh, to, to the whole uh, uh, country. Uh, because uh, we've been doing so well here in, in Costco in Southern California, in LA, in, in San Diego. Uh, they were kind of like, uh, you know, intrigued of if we can also provide some products to, to Mexico. And, and we did, of course. I mean, um, Costco is a great, it's a great client for us. Uh, that, that, that's awesome to hear. And like I said, this was a, a wonderful bottle that, that I got to try. And uh, I think you guys are doing some amazing things. And I guess, Thanks. you know, since it is Cinco de Mayo coming up soon, what type of drink would you recommend folks uh, celebrate that day with? Well, my, my <clears throat> in the line that I have, I have, uh, you know, uh, well, I, I love all of them, but uh, I have a few favorites. But uh, I think the, the mezcal, you know, uh, I personally, if I'm going to do a cocktail, I will do um, like skinny, uh, spicy margarita. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not in the sweet. I don't like too much sweet in my cocktails. And then uh, skinny takes, uh, you know, the, the gavi syrup that they normally they sometimes add. And I like a little bit of spiciness on, on my cocktail. And then that's, uh, you know, and uh, with uh, a little bit of a uh, uh, tahin, it's uh, like a chili powder that you put in the mm-hmm. And then um, with that, you're, you're set two or three of those, you know, you, <laughs> you'll be happy. And you'll probably be able to think you can pronounce things correctly as well. We'll become fluent in Spanish after that. <laughs> exactly. And for folks that if they want to get more information, they can go to izospirits.com and there's some great recipes up there. Uh, and, and you can find where the product's available as well. Uh, Gaston, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, uh, thank you so much. My, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks so much. Yeah. Boy, was that a full episode. I I can't believe everything that we got to do, who we got to talk to. Uh, Greg is amazing, a legend in the game. Uh, Gaston Martinez is doing some amazing thing with uh, things with Mexican spirits. Uh, You know, you just never know what you're going to get when we do these things. And it was a blast. And I appreciate everyone for coming on. Uh, like I said, don't forget to check us out on our social media pages at Hop Spirits, all one word, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and TikTok. You can get the link in our bios uh, to find all sorts of fun stuff, including our YouTube page, uh, where we also have the videos 
uh, of these up as well. And if you're not checking out the videos, you really need to because you get to actually see you know, some of the liquid that we're talking about, whether it's clear uh, hazy IPA from Ballast Point or the, you know, the flight night stuff and the, and the um, tequila that we were talking about today. Uh, just so much fun. Also, remember, if you can, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing uh, on your podcast players. We really appreciate that. We also appreciate our partner in crime at One Sip Beer Review. They're on Instagram. Check them out. Until next time, cheers, everyone. Cheers.